people up, and welcome back to Now Screaming, episode 97. I'm Evan Culbertson. And I'm Liz Smart. And we're watching all the horror movies currently available for streaming on the internet. So you don't have to. This week, we'll be talking about the 1997 Japanese horror film, Cure, which comes to us from Criterion Channel. This film was written and directed by Kiyoshi Kurosawa, and I think it's worth just taking a moment to acknowledge up front that... <laughs> not that Kurosawa. <laughs> Kiyoshi Kurosawa is not related to Akira Kurosawa, who is the most famous Japanese filmmaker named Kurosawa, uh, <laughs> responsible for Seven Samurai and Rashomon and Ron mm-hmm. and Redbeard. Uh, no, no relation. Not the same director. Kiyoshi Kurosawa is part of... He's a contemporary director, and his work is often lumped in, and this film is lumped in, with the turn-of-the-millennium J-horror boom right, like, that gave us The Ring like, and, the and The Grudge mm-hmm. and uh, Pulse, which is a... What are the Japanese? I feel like we should say the, the Japanese. Juan and Ringu. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Kurosawa's Pulse and Hideo Nakata's Dark Water. Films like that. Oh, Takashi Miike's Audition. Sort of extreme or spooky, or at least just on the vanguard of, like, 21st century, late late 20th century, early 21st century horror filmmaking, J-horror obviously came to the U.S. and inspired, like, the next decade of American horror movies. Yes. So this is an important moment for horror. Kurosawa does not only make horror films, though he's made a couple. And this, uh, uh, it, 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 it is a horror film, but it doesn't have the same horror-y feelings as... Juan and Ringu and um, other such movies that inspired, directly inspired horror movies in America. It's definitely different. I think that this movie is definitely in conversation with, and we will talk about this a little bit more, it's in conversation with American film. I think it's also in conversation with sort of like global art house cinema more than those films are. I think that this film, I mean, if you can't tell from it being on the Criterion channel, it is a little more Mm high-minded than something like... Not, not to disparage those films at all, but then something like Audition or The Grudge. It is uh, slower. It is... Yeah. Uh, Less about spooky little girls or, you know, cl- classic horror tropes, I would say. This is more in the crime world. And psychological horror. Yes. That's not to say this movie is not scary. It's a horror movie for sure. It's just, it, it goes about it in a way that's very interesting, which we will get into. Up front, Liz, would you recommend that our listeners watch this movie? I would. I absolutely would. Yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty simple. I think it's it's really excellent. As you said previously, it is more of an art art house movie than some of these other more like mm-hmm. fun horror movies. So it's it's slow and it it requires concentration and attention paid to it, but yes, I think it's it's really excellent. Yeah, I really love this movie. If it's if it's not a masterpiece, it's just short. Yeah. I uh was quite unsettled. I was quite engaged specifically in a lot of the filmmaking choices. Um, I think this is probably, independent of the podcast, this is probably more up my alley than yours. Yeah. As evidenced by the fact that when it was rolled on the roulette, it was already something that I was planning on watching soon. Um, I was very much ready to receive this movie. (laughs) Yes. But I really loved it. And I do think people should watch it. The thing I want to say is that since we expanded beyond Netflix... Uh, so as to not just give them free promotion. It means that I know that sometimes we'll roll something on the roulette that is not a streaming service that our listeners subscribe to. That's true. Which is unfortunate. And Criterion specifically, it's not like a Hulu or a Prime. Correct. This is probably the most niche among the ones that we've included in the roulette. Because I think that Shudder is probably 
on par with it. But if you but listen to this podcast... This is a horror movie podcast. Hopefully you have some kind of access to Shudder. Exactly. So if you don't have a Criterion channel, I, I recommend getting your hands on this somehow. It is not available for rental on Amazon, I checked. Um, there is no US Blu-ray release. Wow. <laughs> Niche as hell. Yeah. Um, but it is on Criterion channel in a okay transfer. We should say up front, maybe just to warn people, the audio was like a little bit off. It's, yeah, not always, but specifically, I feel like when people were hitting things, there's that moment where you're like, that sound happened a fraction of a second after his fist connected with whatever that was. Given Criterion's reputation for uh, sterling audiovisual presentation, I was a little surprised that yeah, this was like... and it's 97, in rough right? Shape. It's not yeah. like it's like 60-something. I will say I previewed the Eureka Masters of Cinema Blu-ray from the UK that you can find online. And <laughs> Wow. <laughs> uh, the FBI is coming for you right now. It's in a little bit better quality. Um, but in general, this is just a grainy film. Uh, the sound was certainly better. Anyway. Let's get into the plot. This movie is about a detective named Takabe, who is played by uh, Koji Yakusho, who is investigating a series of murders wherein... I think we're up, we're up to three um, in the, the film's begins. opening. Mm -hmm. An X is carved into the neck and upper chest of the victims. Mm -hmm. They are committed by three completely different strangers mm -hmm. who have no prior history of violence. And the neck cuts, we only... I don't know if, if we... I'm sure we learn this later, but the thing that we see with the murder that we see being committed in one of the opening scenes is that the neck cuts do not actually kill the victim. They are not the murder. Yeah. They're they're done post either posthumously or while the person is dying. Well, we know the opening murder, which we see very briefly, is um, a sex worker is bludgeoned to death, presumably. Presumably, we don't see but it. But we find out from the um, coroner from the uh, crime scene investigation that she actually does die from loss of blood, not from the blunt force trauma. So It's complicated. Yeah. But there's clearly a pattern here, yeah, and Detective Takabe sure. is very confused because these are not, it's not one perpetrator. Right, and the, I think that, I, I don't remember how many they talk to, because they do end up talking to one of the perps, who is like, they admit to it, there's no mm -hmm. question, they're like, oh, I absolutely killed my wife, like, this absolutely happened, but they don't, they don't really remember it, and they are, they express a lot of anguish about it. So it's very confusing, these aren't random murders. Right. Know, this guy doesn't kill this sex worker because he's angry at her. Like, it's it's some mystical in some way, right? Yeah, well, the first, the first, we can talk, I think we can talk about, the first half of the movie is sort of this overlapping back and forth between Takabe investigating a murder and a strange man with amnesia, who we first see he meets a, a school teacher on a beach who takes him home mm -hmm. and tries to, have any idea who he is. tries yeah. to help him. Like, can't, it's like, what day is it? Where are we? I don't remember anything. Is asking the school teacher, like, oh, who are you? Tell me about yourself. And specifically, does it, it's not even that he has amnesia and then continues to remember things. He has, it's the kind of conversation, it's really incredibly written dialogue where, you know, he and the school, they'll be talking and they'll be like, well, we're, you know, we went to this beach, the Shirasato beach. And then the, a little more conversation will happen and he'll be like, well, what were you doing on Shirasato beach? And the other guy will be like, where? He continues to have... It's like short-term memory loss in addition to amnesia. Right. That like, he can't seem to keep anything in his head for longer than a couple seconds. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. Yes. Um, but we see him engaging in conversation with a couple people that he meets. Um, first, this school teacher... Then 
a police officer, a police officer, then a, a doctor. A doctor. Um, so he started like shuffling through the system, right? Getting help from people. And again, it is overlapped with Takabe investigating murders. With and his friends. He's got a couple, he's got like a partner and also a psychologist who he works with. Yes. It is clear from probably, I don't know, the fourth layer of this, if it's like a back and forth, that the people that this amnesiac is talking to are then committing brutal murders just like the one from the opening scene from the opening scene and the ones that takabe has been investigating so again us as viewer we're picking up on this and And we get a little bit more every time i feel like that's the brilliant element to this that i that really invested me in this movie is that like in the first sequence we just see them talking and we see the amnesiac pull out a lighter and the next time we see him pull out a lighter and the conversation that continues beyond that and then we see him pull out a lighter and the conversation and then specifically to the to the doctor in this case talking about how she wants to cut a man open that that is like something that she 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 wants to do that is within her and that she wants to Mm -hmm. act out and then of course at this point in the film, again, 45 minutes an hour in, we now are not so shocked when we see her committing the murder. Yes. Right? Whereas earlier in the film, I think the first murder that we see, aside from the opening, is a... Um, the police officer shoots someone. Well, uh, the school teacher jumps out his window, his own window, and then we go back to his bedroom and his bed is covered in blood. Right, but we don't see the murder itself. Right. And again, the the... The real brilliance here for me was the filmmaking, the the clinical remove of and juxtaposition of like really calm, still, long shots, mm-hmm. and then just interruptions of action or violence, extreme violence, really, yeah. and, and especially like there's um the scene where the police officer murders his partner. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a static camera, right? We're just watching these two men sort of operate around each other, go about their normal tasks. They're you know they're just putting things up and you know they're they're just going about their days and then he just takes out a gun and shoots him and it's very i was almost thinking the whole time like what would this movie look like um made by an american director or just made like in hollywood and it would be dramatic music and like you know in in the 90s it might be zooms and there'd be you know like jump scares and lots of like just a lot of action on the screen and this was the opposite of that there's there's almost no scoring uh over these moments yeah it's almost as if like a it's like a surveillance like shot from the the shot you're talking about with the the police officer like from across the street it's this yes. long static shot i totally agree i think that part of the effect of that right is that it requires us as viewers to do a lot of the work ourselves mm-hmm. in terms of like considering and thinking about what's happening in in the margins of this scene and the psychology of this scene. To understand the horror, actually, because I feel like that happens a lot with movies where a movie is trying to make you feel horror with music, Mm -hmm. Um, and not to, like, disparage movies that use music. Or dramatic, dramatic, aggressive filmmaking. Right, that, like, and it works. Like, that's that's also an effective way of using your tools to create horror and fear in your audience. Um... But this was just this was just the horror of a situation, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, what happens if you're just going about your life and then your partner shoots you? And there's nothing really filmic about it. It's just this like real, genuine realism and the horror. And it's brutal. Of that. Very brutal. Yeah, it's harrowing. I, I just want to mention it did remind me of um, a couple of things that sequence in particular, but just in general, Kurosawa's approach because this is actually my first um, Kiyoshi Kurosawa film. 
uh, it reminded me of Michael Hanukkah uh, and uh, Takeshi Kitano, who also use like these like wide like removed shots that sort of like are unsentimental and then like juxtapose them with like really intense scary shit. Michael Hanukkah's uh, cachet, I know people a lot of people have seen that, um, is similarly just like you're just so blindsided and it, what mm-hmm. the effect that it creates, especially as this film goes on, is that now we're anticipating something horrible happening, right? Like yes. it gets us into a rhythm that like, so now it created dread where there was none before well, yes. just simply by and it, having it, seen some of these scenes play out in prior. And shots. it creates that with, I would say also specifically like certain elements, like you mentioned, whenever we see our antagonist, this murderer, um, or this, in, in whatever he's doing murderer, right? he's i mean he's a murderer he's a he's just a murderer by the transitive property um he brings out a lighter um and so there's this there's that happens throughout the movie is that then when you, you start to see the lighter come out you're like oh no 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 don't right. don't don't look at the light but there's also a really really great moment um with the doctor where he doesn't use the lighter on her at least not at first he spills a glass of water and she watches it move, and so do we. Watches it sort of just move slowly across the tile. The linoleum, um, yeah. Yeah, and, and there's a moment she looks up at him, and he's like, don't look at me, look at the water. And it's a great moment because the way just the water is moving on the screen is so hypnotic. I myself felt hypnotized by it. Uh, and, it and it was a really interesting way of, like, it's not... There are there, there are some questions I think about this movie how much it's playing with the supernatural versus just like mm-hmm. genuine hypnotism but that element specifically feels very like anyone could fall into this trap right this is just like a a a real genuine way of like it, it could be the fire it could be the water it could be any kind of strange Absolutely. hypnotic thing like anyone is susceptible yeah at risk here so at this point, the movie catches up to Mamiya, which is the name on his coat um, that is said a couple times. It turns out his name is Mamiya, but we don't find that out until a little bit later. We need something to call him other than the amnesiac. Takabe catches up because they get a report of a suspicious man at the hospital before they even know about... Um, a couple of his murders. His yeah. Murder. yeah. <laughs> uh, so they bring him in and they start interrogating him. And so the second half of the movie is... I would say Takabe falling fully Getting into, into deep, the world. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sort of a, like, it might remind you of Seven, right? David Fitcher Seven, which I feel like we just talked about on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, but I think that it, the key there is that it really retains the same sort of, like, oblique, hypnotic, to, to use what you said, mm-hmm. like, filmmaking, that Takabe is, like, really wrapped up in trying to solve what the hell this guy is doing. Yeah. And he is, I think the real fascinating thing in in their scenes together is that Mamiya is like so I mean first of all he's still doing this amnesiac thing which regardless of whether or not it's a ploy or true like it just means he he there's no there there yeah he doesn't like retain anything I wrote this down he seems so disinterested at all times he just like he doesn't he doesn't he, he there is one moment where he escapes but other than that, he doesn't take a lot of initiative with things. Like, people are just always shuffling him from room to room. He's just sitting in a hospital. He's, He's just hanging out. He doesn't care. And it's and it not only does it instill this fervor, this manic aggression into Kabe, because he's like, he wants them to spar, right? He wants them to, there to be, like, 
something to fight back against. He wants to fight and and there's no fight to happen. It also, I think, for us as an audience, makes it it's so scary because he doesn't care because he can get out of any situation. It's the sinister, like, it's the sinister like, calmness. he doesn't care. Yeah, because yeah. it's like, yeah, he's in a, he's in jail. Who cares? He's going to hypnotize somebody. He, he doesn't give a shit. Like, and that makes it's Takabe, so scary. It makes Takabe angrier and angrier, right? And, so, like, and then you're just like, oh my God, man, you're falling into his trap. You are playing into everything he's doing. There's a great scene where Mamiya is, is in prison and uh, Takabe comes in to, to talk to him and is trying to be very calm at first and... Uh, you know, he's like saying, oh, well, tell me about you. Like, I don't want to talk about me. Tell me about you. And that's, which is his little hypnotic yep. ploy. And Takabe starts doing it. He starts getting so angry that he starts actually telling him about his wife. And I'm like, dude, you're doing it. You even know the ploy and you're still doing it. What's well, the fact I think to, to move ahead to that scene, because I don't know, we don't have to get really bogged down on the plot, but I want to talk about this scene because uh, when the lighter comes out, he slaps it out of his hands. Yeah. Right. He says, like, again, he knows the moves and he's still falling victim to it. What ends up happening in that scene is that he takes out the lighter and tries to, like, sort of use the power of the scene. Again, he doesn't like, really you know. You look at the fire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tell me about yourself. At which point it starts to rain outside and a sort of, like, black puddle emerges from the ceiling, dousing the lighter and then just dripping water rhythmically. Again, hypnotically. <laughs> hypnotically, giving Mamiya the power once again. And again, it's, it's sort of what you implied earlier, which is like, what is the supernatural element here? Right. That scene certainly feels supernatural. And it, his calmness in all of these sequences seem to stem from the fact that he's never not in control. Yeah, it's it, it really does edge into that because I think then what happens with, you know, we mentioned he has this psychologist friend mm -hmm. who is looking into all of this and kind of getting into it and they end up finding, the two of them, finding this tape of this mysterious man, um, this really old footage they have that some somebody we can't see on the camera. From the, like, 19th century. Yeah, making a, you see his hand making a cross in the air over a woman mm -hmm. and they learn from documents, I guess, that this woman then went on to kill her son the same way that they've all seen these murders with the cross over the neck, um, implying, again, that this is like, there is some, there's something scientific here, right? There, This is psychology. Like, that is the psychologist's kind of purview is like, they're, you know, this is a real thing. Medically, people can do this. They can hypnotize each other. Uh, but there's also... What's this cross in the air? Yeah. There's something supernatural there as well. You might as well talk about that. So, um... They end up finding Mamiya's apartment, um, Takabe does, and he's got all of these books like of like Jungian psychoanalysis. He was a psychology student. Um, he wrote a paper on like mesmerism and like the German doctor Mesmer who did like yeah, hypnosis that, and like yeah. uh, treated treated like hypnosis and like um, psychological suggestion as a science, uh, despite it being heretical. Uh, a thing Sakuma the psychologist friend talks about is like this was like seen as occultism and there's no way that this would have been practiced openly so like right. this is like passed down through secret channels and not taught openly at all right but that's that which feels again so much about the bridge between science and magic right Absolutely. there's a lot of things medically now that that are that way that's like well this started out being you know your humors, you know, like all these, exactly. like, there's these different things that were seen as like witchcraft, but they're actually medical now. 
Um, or they still bridge that weird pseudoscience. Um, and so much of so much of invention of science seems like magic. If you showed technology from now to people in the 1800s, it would look like magic, right? Like it, this absolutely really, really plays with how the line between those things is already very fragile. And I think Masato Hagiwara's performance as Mamiya is like the key to this. Agreed. You mentioned earlier like the the way that this would be handled in American hands, and it's a it's a recent example specifically because. Um, on one hand, we do have Kevin Spacey in Seven, mm-hmm. who is is doing something similar, which is like just, just like laughing at you. staying calm and inducing rage in Brad Pitt. Yeah. But then I think of earlier this year a film called The Little Things that came out, which just oh, has God. Jared Leto overacting the hell out of it. And again, not that that's bad. I actually think that Jared Leto is like fun in The Little it's Things. It's the best part of that movie. Yeah. He's having fun being a crazy serial killer lunatic, right? Which maybe is like a little too true to who he is in real life. Uh, but mm. I think that like, that's the way that this would happen in an American movie, especially now, yes. is overacting. And... Um, yeah, making it like overly sinister in like a like I'm creepy way. The choice to play this character as calm, cool, and collected as it is, I think, is brilliant. Be- it's both because of the juxtaposition with Takabe like flying off the handle, yeah. as well as just like it makes me as a viewer so uncomfortable. Well, yeah, it's frustrating. It's because I would say that like even to compare to Kevin Spacey in Seven, as sure. you said, like I don't think he ever comes across as disinterested. No. He's interested. He's 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 cool about it. He's chill. Mamiya doesn't care. Yeah. There's this feeling that he is so disinterested in everything that's going on. And that is so unbelievably frustrating as a viewer and as a character in the movie. Well, that's the difference, right? Is that Spacey, Kevin Spacey is still hamming it up. Yeah. Regardless of what the character is like right. inducing, Kevin Spacey is still like doing a thing. He's being an evil man. Yeah. yeah. So I really liked that about this. And it, it felt so different and exciting to watch exciting to watch because it was because it was not exciting you know yeah. moment to moment it's it's, mm-hmm. it's it's a really incredible trick the rest of this plot i feel like we can go through pretty quickly things get tense yeah there's He's a in final too deep. confrontation this i think well, let's loop around back to the wife um oh yes like there's later a wife. uh sakuma the psychologist friend ends up um dead he kills himself and he's had something going on because there's a really great moment where they're in his apartment and he goes into his bedroom and turns on the light and there's like a big the X, X on, on the wall. wall. And again, it's played so beautifully because I didn't actually even notice it at first. We had to kind of go back and revisit it um, because there's no, dun, 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 you know, it's it's not a jump scare. It is a jump it scare because jump it scares scare. you, but it's not, it's not played dramatically. You just have to notice it the way that Takabe does, which is so, so brilliant. Yeah, the I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant filmmaking because it's a jump scare from just seeing an X on the wall, and that's incredible. Mm-hmm. I yeah, it's all the many ways that this this film was very layered with its symbolism, like yeah. the, 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 I mean specifically just the symbol of this X pervading their lives is so fascinating. So, Mamiya breaks out of it, it's prison, but it's it's more like a psychological hospital. Yeah. It's like a. But he kills a guard. He does He does finally do a murder of his own volition, I think. We don't know. We don't... I guess that's true. We don't know. Here's the thing about that. They just that. find the, the Should we talk about that? dead. Sure. So the way that shot is, is that it's panning across and we see the guard dead on the ground um, with, like, blood dripping down. Like, it's, it's bloody. It's not ambiguous. Yeah. And then we get over to the room and it's Takabe walking out of the room, clearly because Mamiya is now gone. Yeah. 
we don't actually know who killed that guard. It's very true. You're right. I just want to say, like, the, the ambiguity is... like Ex- Not that you're saying wrong, yeah. but the ambiguity is the point there, not, oh, he finally did a murder of his own volition. We have no That's idea what happened. very true. We have no idea how that No, completely. Um, and we to, know he has the power. He still yeah. has all of the power in this situation. Takabe goes to a barn. This part is extremely unclear to me. Uh, Sakuma saw it in a vision. We don't know how Takabe knows how to go there or what it is, where it is. He goes to a barn. There's some spooky stuff happening there. Yeah. Um, Mamiya shows up. They have a final confrontation that you said. Uh, Mamiya is still doing his routine of like, you're the only one that understands me. I knew that you would come to meet me. And then Takabe shoots him. And then Mamiya tries to do one last... Uh, X, hand in the yeah. air X, <laughs> X thing. I, I'm doing it physically, but of course you can't see that listener. But no, Takabe just like shoots him in the head several times. Several times. It's it is not a um, uh, protocol. No, no, no. You know, <laughs> it's, it it's classic. Just like detective is gone too far. But He's just like totally lost it. Completely unhinged. The last scene is Takabe at a restaurant. Um, We've seen him at this restaurant before. Yes, uh, though earlier I believe he wasn't eating. Um, the previous scene, he just had some... some he coffee. does, like, work there. Yeah. Uh, but he's eating now and has a brief conversation with a waitress. That we don't hear. That we don't hear. Um, and then the shot turns around uh, to the waitress and a woman comes over and talks to the waitress, like a hostess or a manager or something, um, talks to the waitress. And she goes over to... She crosses the restaurant to, like, a host stand and grabs a butcher knife uh the wrong way, the way that we all know that when you're only you only hold a knife like that if you're going to use <laughs> it violently. Do a murder, yeah. <laughs> um, and then she starts to cross the room, and then that's the end of the film. It cuts to the credits, right? Which is uh, the street um, outside the Takabe's house. Great ending, incredible fantastic, ending, terrifying. Pays off all of the fears that we had for Takabe, Takabe to just get so wrapped up in this that like, what would he become? Of course, it's ambiguous. The film does not answer. Did he hypnotize her? Like. The, again, the ambiguity is the point. Mm-hmm. The, for us to be unsettled is the point. Mm-hmm. But it sure as hell seems like now Takabe is inducing murders. It sure does. It passed along. Which, again, has that kind of feeling of, like, what is this? Is it science or magic? It's, it's yeah. incredible. I mean, I think, like, one of the... So that's that's the plot of this movie. That's the gist. Again, I think it's brilliant. I think one of the things that really elevates this above sort of, like, police procedural is that, like, it's also, like, engaged in this, like, existential question about free will. About like, oh, very. there's a there's a couple quotes from this that I wanted to read that sort of, not that this movie has a, I don't think it has a singular perspective, nor does it have like an ethos. It's like engaged in conversation with itself, right? Mm-hmm. Again, the, the aforementioned ambiguity. I love. Uh, absolutely. Early on, um, Sakuma says something to the effect of people like to think that a crime has meaning, but most of them don't. This angers Takabe because he's like, you tell me this just happened. You're telling me that like, this could be random violence. And, and Sakuma's like... Yeah, absolutely. Like, crimes don't have to have answers, right? Uh, <laughs> Not something a detective probably wants to hear. Yeah, I, I could imagine that being very frustrating. But again, that's sort of the first <laughs> seeds laying of, like, Takabe, like, not being able to separate. Well, that's right. sort of what's going And wanting answers yeah. that he's not going to get. The other thing is that Sakuma says that even if, when the hypnotism theory comes out, which to Takabe and this film's credit happens pretty early, mm-hmm. I am surprised that... It's not a twist ending. No, the the Takabe is like, hey, this seems like hypnotism, right? That's I know that I know that's crazy, but doesn't it seem like that? 
Um, Sakama says something to the effect of like, well, even if you could hypnotize someone, you can't change their basic moral sense. Like, implying that, like, no, it couldn't really be hypnotism because, like, these are not violent people. These are right. not horrible people. Like, it's... You can't just hypnotize someone to murder to someone. To murder, right? Yeah. Then when we see in the... Those are the two quotes I wanted to mention. When we see in the um, scene with the doctor, when he's talking about, like, when you had dreams of being a surgeon, really what you were saying is you were uh, wanting to fight against, like, the patriarchy that, like... Because... Um, Mamiya is like a misogynist, but like was talking about like how like uh, you wanted to cut into a man, you wanted to like uh, stake your claim and just cut men open, and so like we see the insidious way that he's what's playing like, with truth. If what right. Sakama says is true, right? Which I guess the movie wants us to accept his basic like understanding of psychology, right? We don't. I don't mm-hmm. think the movie wants him to be wrong about no, that. No, no, no. It's just it. it but depends, we see yeah. how that is manipulated. Yes. So again, this this question of free will, this question of like what's inside of you. Yeah, uh, and everything he says to Takabe about his wife, because we haven't really brought her up, but that is something that is let's talk. Let's talk a, about her. a through line with her. Um, he's not saying anything that isn't true. There is resentment there. There is anger. His wife uh, is ill. And responsibility. We, we should just explain for those listeners. His wife is ill. Um. Mentally they, ill. Yeah, I, I thought de- depressed in kind of like a way where she just like stays at the house and doesn't do anything and then spends a lot of time in bed. I think she has some some um, depression is part of it, but I don't think it's the full explanation. She has memory issues. Mm. She goes out to the store at one point and she says she becomes lost going to the like convenience store. Uh, so like when he comes home one day and she's not there, he like runs out in a panic and like finds her just like standing at the the top of a staircase, uh, just being like, I didn't know where to go anymore. Mm-hmm. So again. It's not really just depression. Right. It's something um, else. He ends up putting her in a mental hospital because he's like, I can't... Do both. ...deal with you, <laughs> yeah. like, the stress of you and this crazy well, serial killer. and he's like... Uh, the hypnotism's starting to get into his head, uh, and he has, like, a vision of her hanging herself in the in the kitchen. So there's this feeling also for me of, like that he's worried for her and he's worried what he could also do to her. It's, it's a little bit, it's for her own safety from herself, but also a little bit for her own safety from him. That's kind of the vibe I got as well. One of the film's best scenes, I think, is that he comes home and we're used to this routine uh, in the film of him coming home and just checking on his wife and like, usually she's asleep or she's... Um, Making him dinner. That's often yeah. true. So she's hanging and... Oh, and Mia had like taunted him about this as well. Yes, right. very clearly dead. And then... He has like a, a a little breakdown. Yeah, but it's it's an incredible performance because yeah, he, he doesn't, doesn't just scream. scream. No, he, he falls sort of... to his knees in anguish in such like a real and like holding his anguish. head. Yeah, just like like the pain is so vivid. And then it cuts and it's a reverse shot and it's him still on his knees in the kitchen and his wife just like standing there like making something in a blender. Yeah, right. Just, and be like, are you, are you okay? <laughs> it's an incredible cut. I really just love the filmmaking in this movie again because we have no reason to doubt what we're seeing. Right. And then we realized that, like, really, maybe we should doubt everything. We should question everything that we're seeing. Absolutely. Because we're in so many perspectives and we don't really know. Again, there's a there's a sequence where Sakuma has a series of visions, but it's not really clear what's happening until the end because it begins with a repetition of a scene we've seen before. And then it gets very abstract, it gets very impressionistic, and we're like, okay, I don't really know what's happening here. And then we cut back to Sakuma sitting in his apartment talking to Takabe right. and it's like, okay, why did you just have a serious vision? Yeah. Wait a second. I think it's really incredible the way that it like, especially as the film builds the the way that the rhythm increases and 
it gets inside our heads. Yes. Right? I, I felt, again, just as hypnotized, just as manipulated, I feel like, as the characters in this movie, that it's really artistically done that way. Absolutely. There's a lot more to talk about with this movie. I think that... Um, it's dense, yeah. Kind of like Eraserhead, it, it, this conversation feels like such like an introduction to how to talk about this movie. I think this movie is actually probably denser and richer than Eraserhead. A movie that, again, I... I, I would agree. Well, we all know how I feel. I quite like Eraserhead. <laughs> This just feels like a, an opening conversation. I'm going to be thinking about this movie for a while. We just watched it. Yeah. Um, I rewatched part of it before we started recording just to it's remind myself of some stuff. It's absolutely rewards multiple viewings, I would imagine. And there's also stuff that, like, if you chose to listen to this conversation haven't watched it yet, I kind of want some of the surprises to remain. Again, not the plot surprises. Yeah. But there's, like, there genuine are still things, yeah. moments in this that really either moved me or harrowed me or... Again, I think that there's so much richness here that, like, I don't think we need to talk about every detail that I liked. There's yeah. a lot of details that I liked, too. Yeah. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to, to touch on well, before yeah, this I this is sort of going back to talking about what this movie means, because I think that that's, that's such a rich conversation. But it makes me curious what you think about the title. Yeah, it's... <laughs> I don't have an answer to that. Uh, it was originally called The Missionary. Oh, they do talk about that, don't they? And it was... Well, they, they mentioned something about, like, that... Um, Sakama says something to the effect of, like, Mamiya is just a missionary for this, again, this ancient art of mesmerism that yes. has been performed in secret out of the view of the authorities. Yes. Uh, so it's called The Missionary, and then the title was changed to Cure well before release. So the, the missionary title is obvious. It makes perfect Cure, sense. I don't really know. Well, it's a playoff of that, right? It's, it's, it's someone going out into the world to cure others, right? Yeah. Uh, but I was thinking about it so much when you were talking about free will, because th right. that's that's a topic that I feel very close to. I think about it a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very like present in a lot of what I want to write about. Um, and I feel like one of the most interesting ways to think about free will uh, is is as a burden. You know, mm -hmm. like we are we are plagued as people by our free will. It it makes us make bad decisions, and it it hampers us. I think that there are there are. Uh, characters in media, in literature, in film who remove free will and they're like, I'm doing you a favor. I am taking uh, the, the, the burden of choice from you. Mm -hmm. Choice is terrifying and it's, it's like, it, it hurts, it hurts and it's painful. And this idea of taking away free will and that I'm coming here to cure you of your free will, I'm very, very, very fascinated in that idea. And I think it is present. I like that read movie. a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. But I, I, I mean, but I, that's not the answer, right? It's just, it's one part of it that I think is, it's so layered. I love titles like that, that just make me think so many things. I just love that. I'm, I'm always so excited about a title like this that is not just mean, means one thing. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, I'm sure there's half a dozen things that I could think of. Yeah, uh, it's, it's great. I love it. Yeah. I'm very excited about all of the the many ways this movie made me think about tons of different things. <laughs> Again, I will continue to think about it. Great film. Great, yeah. great roulette. Uh, I know. Amazing that it happened. It never happens like that. Never. <laughs> Especially against something that I was aware of but didn't know that much about. Oh, yeah. I have a fun anecdote about this, by the way. Oh, great. You know this. While watching this film, which we did so together, both of us came to the conclusion separately that one of the things that this reminded us of was the films of uh, Bong Joon-ho. Yes. We came to this conclusion... I, I was, All in different movies. I was reminded of uh, Memories of Murder. Yes, and I was you reminded were, of Mother. Of Mother. Mm -hmm. um, I, maybe I knew this in the back of my mind, but I don't think I was aware of it. Then I clicked on the Wikipedia page after watching the film and saw that it is 
one of Bong Joon-ho's favorite films of all time. Yeah. He included it in his uh, 2012 Sight and so- Sound poll of the 10 best movies ever made. A um, huge influence on his work. A huge influence on his work. <laughs> Uh, again, I didn't know that consciously when I made that observation. I Great think it's work, very funny. Bong. You did it. You absolutely <laughs> exemplified Cure in your films. We've watched your films and we knew that Cure was a good on them. We it's got so, it. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was fun. It's very fun. I love it. Are you ready to uh, jump out of a window after a chance encounter with a floppy haired amnesiac? Oh my God. Yes. So let's forgo the roulette. Yeah. I mean, we, it, it, this isn't a punishment roulette. This is a reward. <laughs> for you once, get, you did great. You get two weeks off for doing one good thing for us. We had a recommendation or a request, and we like to honor those when possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, feel free to... Always drop us always a line. Tell us what to watch. Let us know what you think we should Anything watch. to avoid the roulette. <laughs> this recommendation comes from Claire at Duplis27 on Twitter, who actually has already recommended a movie to us. Claire was actually the one who recommended um, Last Shift, which I believe was around the 50s, 54, 53. Mm. That was a scary movie. It was so terrifying. It was an incredible recommendation. Did we see what the movie is yet? No. Oh. It's As Above, So Below on Netflix. Yes. So we're going to watch that. Uh, thank you for the recommendation, Claire. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. I've wanted to watch this for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of it. I don't think it was ever like... It was a bit on my radar. It's never been at the, like, the top of top my Top of the list. list, yeah. I don't really know what it's about. Off the top of my head, I think it's about the catacombs of Paris. <laughs> it's probably about some sort of catacombs, yes. That looks like the Eiffel Tower. I, it does say Paris. And okay. that's that boy from Superstore. I know him. Oh. I know him from Mad Men. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I hope I'm right. The other movie that uh, takes place in the catacombs of Paris is the overlooked masterpiece of uh, late career Ang Lee is uh, Gemini Man. Uh, oh my god. A movie in which two Will Smiths battle it out Remember for supremacy. see movie in theaters. One of the best movie theater experiences I've ever had. Truly an incredible movie theater experience. And now it's like, now it's like, Oh, movie theaters. I remember those back in the recesses of my mind when we used to go to movie theaters. Fascinating times. Would love, would love for it to happen again. I always get this movie confused with, um, The Descent, a movie that I love. The Descent is The Girls in the Cave? Yes. The Women in the Cave, I should the say. The Girls in the Cave. <laughs> Sorry about that. Addition to rename The Descent Girls in the Cave. The ladies in the cave. Cave ladies. Oh, so this is not a French film. It just takes place, it takes in, place France. in France. Good to know. And it's on Netflix? Yes. Nice. Return to Netflix. Return to our roots. All right. I'm excited. Me too. Thanks for the recommendation. As Above, So Below will be our next film. And until then, you can check us out on our website at nowscreaming.com. And on Twitter and Facebook at nowscreaming. Be sure to leave us a like and a subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. And a review. And tell your friends. Yeah. Tell your friends about... Kiyoshi Kurosawa's Cure. Spread the word. Spread the word. I had never heard of this movie, uh, but it's a great one. Do a little hypnotism of your own. (laughs) uh, Perfect, yeah. Be a missionary for it. Cure your friends of having not watched Cure. That's a good one. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, as always, to Wes Craven, who was set to direct and write a remake of Kurosawa's Pulse in 2006. What? Before uh, one of the Weinsteins pulls it out from under him. He still has a screenplay credit on the Kristen Bell starring 
American remake that did happen. Oh my god. Uh, but he has disowned that film. But thank you, Wes Craven, for appreciating Kurosawa's work enough to want to remake it in the first place. That's nuts. That's crazy. I love that. I love when Wes Craven turns out to be the main party that we're thinking in yes, the Yes, always. All right. Until next time, everybody. Stay spooky. Stay spooky. <laughs>